Week six, holy place worship. We've been studying about the temple in the book of Exodus, and if you have your Bibles tonight, um, I encourage you to be in Exodus. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 37 tonight. Um, if not, we're going to have all the scripture on the screen for you, of course, as always. But um, we've been talking about the tabernacle in the book of Exodus and how God, um, through Moses, led the people to build a place for him um, to, to, to fill, a place for him to sit. God, God, God wants to dwell among the people. He keeps saying, I want to dwell among my people, but in order for God to dwell, we've got to uh, make a place for him to dwell. And there's so many times in the life of the church that we have these moments of God just kind of doing whatever he wants. We have these huge revivals through the year. We see the presence of God come. And what happens is we, we create a place for him, but we haven't created a, a, a sustained place where the presence of God can just sit. When I say I want revival, I don't, I don't want another thing where we just meet for five or six nights and then everything goes. I want to see a revival in the church of Savannah. And I believe wholeheartedly that it's not going to be coming in the form of one church exploding. I think it's going to get to a place where we can just get, put, if I may, just put all of our crap aside and get together and honor God and worship God as one people. Can someone shout amen to that? So we got to look at how the temple was built. We got to look at how the thing that God created to dwell looked. In Exodus 40, we've been reading this every week, verse 34, it says, The cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord, it will be up on the screens as soon as Josh puts it up there, filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The reason that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle at this point in Scripture after 40 chapters in Exodus was because it was a very simple thing. They saw the cloud by day and the fire by night. They saw the presence of God. And it wasn't because God said, I'm deciding to come now. It was because they followed a specific design of how the temple looked. And it says once they built it to its design, and he talked about the kind of wood. He talked about the color of the curtain. He talked about the, the, the gold and the bronze and the metal and how many hooks and how big it was. I mean, seven or eight chapters of detail, detail, detail. After they built it according to his design, someone shout God's design, after they built it according to God's design, his presence filled. We have been kind of molded into this thinking that we pray, God, would you come and fill this place? God does not come and fill a place when he feels like it. He fills a place when his people build it in such a way that it invites him to fill it. It's not God is suddenly going to do it. It's when are you going to build it like I told you because once my design's in place, that's when I'll come. And the fact of the matter is, if we're not seeing a move of God, it's not because we're waiting on God's timing. God's waiting on us. We've got to start building the tabernacle. And if you've been paying attention to the messages and, and, and listening, you'll find out the tabernacle is not building something at 8511 Waters. It's not building an organization called Relentless Church. The tabernacle, the temple of the Holy Spirit, where is it? It is you. In other words, we're going to see God fill up Savannah when the people of God saying, less of me, more than him, I'm building my temple so he can have it all. That's when we're going to see a tremendous move of God. I hear pastors talk about the darkness over Savannah all the time. There may be a dark cloud, but I'm not praying for God to move it. 
I'm saying, God, what do I need to build? Because it's when we build our temple according to his design that he fills it up so much that there will not be room for the dark cloud to stay. It's not God moving, it's God saying, when are you going to start putting your feet to the, to, to, to the, to the plow and, and start doing what I've told you to do and build your life around me? I'm feeling good tonight. <laughs> so we've been discussing the design. And I think there's some pictures, Josh, if you want to go ahead and throw that picture up there. We've been talking about the design of the tabernacle. Back then, the tabernacle was made out of curtain and fabric. We've been talking about this, and it, it was mobile. Mobile church and set up church is not a new thing. It's been around since Exodus. They had to set up and move wherever God told them to move. And the way this tabernacle was, if you see in the picture, there is one entrance, there is one gate. We talked about the gate is Jesus, one way Jesus. There's one way to enter, and then you get inside this courtyard. and We, we, we come into the gate through Jesus. We come into the courts with praise. Inside the court, we talked about the brazen altar. We talked about the bronze laver. At the altar, you came with your sin. You sacrificed the lamb. You, 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 you burned the remains, and we talked about how that was like the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of our sins and coming forth with it and it talked about burning up the remains of the sacrifice of the lamb and how God tells us that we are to embrace fiery trials because it's building us and it's building our character, becoming the temple then you come to this place where it's the bronze laver, it's, it, it's a wash basin basically and God said before you can get into to, to, to the, the most holy place you've got to make sure you purify yourself and you wash yourself and we found out that it wasn't necessarily just that you're washed in the blood, but you're washed and purified by the word of God after you've already taken care of your sin with the blood. Amen? Y'all following? This okay? And then we come to a second part of the tabernacle called the holy place. The holy place was inside of a covered part of the tabernacle. We talked about how the courtyard is always exposed last week. And how our, our, with our lives, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and our physical body is always exposed. You're exposed to elements. You're exposed to, to corruption. You're exposed to what your eyes see, what your ears hear. You're exposed to what you put your ears to. S stop letting people use your ears as their garbage cans. Because what, what happens is we start living life and hearing things and we hear all this junk and all of a sudden the junk gets in us and then it becomes a part of us. You got to take care of the stuff that's exposed to everything else. But once you get to the cover part, you got a holy place and you got a most holy place. In the most holy place, the third part, it is where the presence of God sat. No one could enter into the most holy place except for one man once a year and that was called our, the high priest of the people. The Jewish people could not get anywhere past the courtyard. They went to the courtyard, they dealt with their sin, they washed and everything, but only the priest could take what was talked about into the holy place, and only the high priest could go into the most holy place once a year. And the Bible says Jesus is now our high priest. Jesus said, I'm going to make a way, I'm going to take care of all the stages, and you are now all of this thing called a tabernacle. You're the courtyard, I'm the gate, you're the courtyard, you're the holy place, you're the most holy place. My Holy Spirit is going to live and dwell inside of you. That's a whole message right there. So we talked about the courtyard, and tonight I want to get into the holy place, the place where only the priest could enter. In John 14, 6, <clears throat> Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one can come to the Father except through me. We talked about the way, the gate. We talked about the truth, the courtyard of the sacrifice of the lamb, the cleansing by the water and, the, and being washed by the purity of the blood. So if we've seen the way, we've seen the truth, what's left? The life. How many of you want to see more life in your life? How many of you are tired of dead things? How many of you are tired of being stuck in the same place for upteen dozen days and so many months and so? How many of you are you ready just to move on to the next season? Well, we've talked about the way of Jesus. We've talked about the truth of the sacrifice of your blood and your sins and washed by the word. Now that you've got the way and you've got the truth, is now talking about how to start building your life. So let's talk. Once the people entered the courtyard, took care of their sins, took care of being washed by the word, the priest would go into the holy place. Throw a picture up there if you, I think there's a picture up there. You've got the, the covered part of the temple. You've got the holy place, and you've got the most holy place. The thing that separated the two of the holy place and the most holy place was a veil. We talked about how Jesus tore the, the veil. It was the thing that separated the priest from the place where the presence of God sat. The presence of God was, was sitting in one place. A lot of us have heard it about how the presence of God was in the Ark of the Covenant, right? Well, what you see in this picture is an example of that. You got the Ark of the Covenant that you supported by two golden rods because you could not touch it. It was separated by a veil, but before you get to that place where the presence of God was, you came to this holy place. And inside the holy place, there were three things. There was a lampstand, there was a table, and then there was an altar of incense. The table, or the table of bread as some versions call it, was always placed to the right. The lampstand, or the golden lampstand, was always placed to the, to the left. And the altar of incense was straight ahead, right before you got past the veil into the presence of God. Now, if you remember, when we talked about the courtyard, there was a specific detail in Scripture of how the entire courtyard was made of a certain kind of metal. If any of you remember the kind of metal, I will buy you dinner if you shout it out. I heard Mike first. He gets it. Bronze. He said brass, but it's close enough. I'll buy you dinner in 2020. Bronze. <laughs> But when you entered into the covered part, the protected part, the part that was not exposed, there was only one metal that everything was made of. It was gold. It was a pure, untarnished metal that was used to make everything. The lampstand, the, the table, the thing that the, the, the held the Ark of the cut. everything was gold. It was pure. It was untarnished. I could preach a whole message on it, but our worship needs to look pure and untarnished. Our worship does not need to, 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 to look as if we're coming in here trying to get into the presence. I cannot stand church folk who's taught that language. I got to get to church so I can get in the presence of God. You do not need to live a life where you feel like you got to get into his presence if you understand that his presence has already gotten inside of you. 
But what we do is we worship as if we're still in the courtyard. We worship according to how we've been tarnished. And God says, I want all of you. I don't, I don't want you to come in here feeling like you ain't worth nothing. I sacrificed my son so I could make you worthy. So start approaching me worthy. You don't need to get to a place where you're crying in order to respond to an altar call. Your altar call should start the moment you wake up and say, God, here I am. Make me yours. Do what you want through me. Not let me get to church so a preacher can encourage me so I can get to the altar, cry some tears, and then go out the doors and live like hell. The presence does not change. There is a greater degree of it because when two or more come together and agree, he is there. But it's, it's not because he showed up once the two got together. It's there's a degree, greater degree because two that already have him come into agreement. And in that agreement, there's a greater level of glory. This is good stuff. He says, I want, the, I, I want you to come to me wholeheartedly. I don't want you to come to me uh, with with 50%. I want you to come to all all of me. I want want all of you. I want a purity of worship. And we've got to get back to this place where our worship is pure. Can I tell you what impure worship is? God, I'll give you my all if you promise to do this for me. I've got to get to a church because I need a breakthrough. And y'all know some of y'all said that tonight. I got to get to church because I got to get this thing off of me. I got to get to church because I got to get through this stuff. If we are truly in a posture of thanksgiving to God, he has done everything we need. It's finished. He's done it all. So it's no longer let me get in his presence so I can get. It's I simply want to get with other believers and praise him because he is. That's purity of worship. No agenda, no I need, simply if God never does another thing in my life, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to worship you in my praise. I'm going to worship you in my giving. I'm going to worship you in my relationships. I'm going to worship you with the words that come out my mouth. I'm going to worship you with what I watch on TV. I'm going to worship you with what I listen to on the radio. I'm going to worship you with every single part of me without any expectation of anything. Purity. Nothing tarnished. And in this holy place, In Exodus chapter 37, it starts talking about each thing. There's the table, there's the lampstand, and there's the altar of incense. So let's start in Exodus 37, verse 10. Then Bezalel made the table of acacia wood 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, and 27 inches high. He overlaid it with pure gold and ran a gold molding all around the edge. He decorated it with a three-inch border all around, and he ran a gold molding along the border. And then he cast four gold rings for the table and attached them at the four corners next to the four legs. The rings were attached near the border to hold the poles that were used to carry the table. He made these poles from acacia wood and then overlaid them with gold. And then he made special containers of pure gold for the table, bowls, ladles, jars, and pitchers to be used in pouring out and pouring out liquid offerings. The table. Located to the right, the table was made of an acacia wood. It was overlaid with gold. It was three foot long, one and a half feet high, and 20, or 20, one and a half feet wide, 27 inches long. It had gold molding around it. All the containers were made from gold. What would happen on this table is when the priests would come into the most holy place, they would place certain things on the table. 
And the thing that they would put on the table represented all the tribes that were positioned around the tabernacle. If you remember the way the tabernacle was set up, they set it up in such a way where it was in the center of the lives of all the people of Israel that were represented. And of the people of Israel, there were a certain number of tribes. Do you all remember how many tribes of Israel there were? Twelve. There's Twelve tribes. So around the tabernacle, you have three on the north, three on the south, three on the east, three on the west. So what they would do is when the priest would come into the holy place, they would put 12 things on the table to represent the 12 tribes. Guess what represented the people? Who said it? Dang. Bread. I got preachers in the, in the pews. They would put 12 loaves of bread on the table representing the 12 tribes of the people. The bread was this constant reminder of the people that, a, that there was a covenant that God gave them saying, as long as you build to my design and listen to my ways and do what I've asked, I will always provide and come through for you. And we love to preach that in church. But you know what we don't like to talk about? We think that we can go on living like hell and God's still going to bless us. God says, you build to my design, I'll give you everything you need. But, but just because God loves you and died for you and took care of your eternity does not mean he's going to bless your life if you don't live for him in any part of it. I cannot stand to listen to a gospel preach where we say, as long as you just believe, you'll be blessed. That is not what Jesus teaches. Follow me. Let me make you a disciple. These people will put the 12 loaves of bread saying, we are recognizing this covenant that because of what you told us to do, if we would enter in and we would listen to you, we know that we will never have need. And yet we have built the Church of America to believe in this gospel. As long as you believe in Jesus, everything will be taken care of. But let me tell you, that is not the truth. The truth is, you believe in Jesus and that's the gate. But you walk through the gate and you've got to start going through a process of change and being made into a disciple, you've got to deal with your sin, you've got to be washed by the blood, you go through fiery trials, you wash by the word, and you come to a place where you come to a table where you realize that you are represented, there is a covenant, and, and God says, I've got something about the bread, which is you, that I need you to understand. I need you to understand that you have a part to play, and this is a representation of a covenant. You want to talk about the covenant? Hebrews 8, 6. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. He says, the covenant that I have with you is better than anything that they ever had. And here's the promise, John 6, 35. I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. He says, 
in the temple that I've instructed Moses to build, I have given you an example that there is a table that, that the people are represented of with bread. And he says, I don't want you to just go through a religious thing anymore. I want to make a way for you to never have any need, never go hungry, and never go thirsty. And in order for you to get to that place, I don't need you to come to me a certain time, number of times a year. I don't need you to put 12 loaves of bread on the table. Now, I want you to understand, I have become that bread, and I am the representation of the covenant. And as a representation of the covenant, I don't need you to do anything but believe in me and come to me. And if you come to me, you'll never be hungry. And if you believe in me, you'll never be thirsty. We do really good with the believing and not getting thirsty. But we do really bad about the coming and not being hungry. Because what we'll do is we'll get hungry for stuff and we'll start diving into all kind of wells. I need, I need a financial breakthrough. So we start looking at how to take out loans, how to save better. We start, you know, purchasing Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. We start doing everything we can. And Jesus is like, I've got a way. I will bless your 90, give me your 10. But our, what we do is we don't come to him. Well, I need a second job. I need to do this. I need to do that. None of those are bad things. But he says, if you will look at the bread, the representation that was put on the table for you, I've given you away. Bless the poor, bless the needy. Worship me with your ten. He's given us away. But we don't ever go to him. And we wonder why we're still hungry. I've got to do more. I've got to do better. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do that. i got to, i got to, i got to. I'm going to satisfy what you're hungry for. Come to me. We get hungry for better friendships. We get hungry for relationships. And what happens is we start to feed that hunger by trying to build friendships and relationships with everyone we can find. And before you know it, you've made bad decisions, you've made, you, 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 you've made bad covenant, and he says, I am the bread that represents the best covenant. I want to be your friend. I want to be your God. I want to be your brother. I want to be everything. Why are you going to everyone else but you have stopped coming to me? God, I'm hungry for a better marriage. Why are you going to your friends when I'm your best friend? I've given you all you need, but you don't come to me. We're hungry, but we're trying to feast off the wrong bread. He says, I am the bread. Come to me and you won't be hungry. Is this good? The cool thing about the bread was that it was removed every Sabbath. And the priest would eat it. Yep, yeah, perks about being a priest. <laughs> Even though it was like six days old by this, <laughs> by this point. They would eat it and they would replace it with new loaves. They ate of the covenant. 
they had fellowship with the bread. The bread that represented a covenant between them and God became a part of them. Jesus says, I am the bread. Come to me. You'll never be hungry. Fellowship with him and you won't make dumb decisions that lead to hurt. Take of his bread of life and you won't have to live with regret. I wish we could get to a place where we taught people that you don't have to make a bad decision to have a great testimony. Can I say that again? You don't have to make a bad decision to have a great testimony. Jesus was the greatest testimony and dude was perfect. I went through that. In my early 20s, I made some stupid decisions. Even when I was senior in high school is when I started making some dumb decisions. And I remember honestly thinking, I need to build my testimony. Because I didn't understand all I had to do was eat of that covenant of bread that was the perfect testimony. You don't need to go make a mistake so that you can show people what God can get you out of. The best testimony is, why don't you ever have a problem? Why don't you ever look down? Why are you always happy? Why are you always joyful? Why do you deal with pain so great? Because I eat of the bread of life and you still consuming with the bread of death. He says, I am the bread. Come to me, and I'll be the most satisfying thing you could ever want. Matthew 5, 6, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. They will be satisfied. God wants to bring so much justice to your life. But it's not going to come through all these external things. It's simply, God, show me your way. Let me feast of you. I wonder what fills your table. I wonder what you're feasting on. What are you feasting on? What has replaced the bread of life? You know, we can get up here and we can, we can preach all day and we can worship with a great team, but when it comes down to it, it's not how good the team brought you into the presence. I was a part of a seminar this week with a worship leader in, in North Carolina or South Carolina and he talked about how when it comes down to it, it's not about a worship leader getting people into the presence. It's about people who are already in the presence coming together in agreement. And if we can get to a place where we're feasting on the right bread, they won't even need to start a song for praise to start rising up out of this house. Can I share the vision that I see one day? Maybe I can just put it out there so you can start grabbing onto it. I see a day where worship starts before a stupid countdown ever begins. I love the stuff we do. I love the countdown that we do because it shares the vision of the church. I love the worship. I love all that. But man, I am searching for a day where we are feasting so much on the bread that we are so full that we come into the place and we just got to start running it off and getting empty. <laughs> I see a day where we got to come out here and just say, I am so full on you, Jesus. Let me pour it out. 
I'm not waiting on the piano to start. I'm not waiting for a drum to click in. I'm not waiting for a video. I want to get with my fellow believers and just worship God because I am full on bread. Is anybody hearing this? I think that's the church that God really wants to see. You know, I believe in healings and miracles. We've seen them in this church. I believe we're going to see a greater degree of it as we keep going. But my goal is not to get to a place where we see miracle after miracle. My goal, my heart, my vision is that we get to a place as a body that we're so full on bread that miracles happen like as soon as we wake up, that we don't need to get somewhere for a miracle, that we are so full on bread that there is such a thick presence of God in this place that everyone else has got to get here to figure out why we so full. (laughs) The table. So you walk into this place, this holy place, this is so good. Where we see the table that represents bread, and to the right or to the left, you see something else. Let's read Exodus 37, starting in verse 17. Then Bezalel made the lampstand of pure hammer gold. He made the entire lampstand and some decorations of one piece, the base, center stem, lamp cups, buds, and petals. The lampstand has six branches going out from the center stem, three on each side. Each of the six branches had three lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. The center stem of the lampstand was crafted with four lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. There was an almond bud beneath each pair of branches where the six branches extended from the center stem, all made of one piece. The almond buds' branches were made of one piece with the center stem. They were hammered from pure gold. He made seven lamps to the lampstand, lamp snuffers, trays, all of pure gold. The entire lampstand, along with accessories was made from 75 pounds of pure gold. That's an expensive lampstand. A 75 pound pure gold lampstand. So you you come into the holy place. You've dealt with the table and the bread. And then you've got a lampstand with seven tiers made of 75 pounds of gold. It had the center column and six branches extending. And if you read the scripture, it talks about how the, the lampstand, the, 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 the six different things look like almond tree branches. And each of the flower-shaped cups, that held, it, they held olive oil. And they had a cloth wick which became saturated with that oil so that it would give, um, uh, it would, it would, it would give the flame so that they could have light. And these lamps were to continually burn. Because you went into this cover place, they didn't have electricity. There was only one source of light. And it was this lampstand that was burning with flames of fire. There was no windows. There was no openings in this particular part of the holy place. Just one thing inside that separated the holy place from the most holy place, which was a veil. This lampstand was the only source of light. The lampstand, there's something interesting about the the picture of the, the, the almond branch. The almond tree would bloom early in the Middle East. In fact, it would bloom around January and February. So we're kind of in that season of where the branches would start blooming. And what's interesting about this almond branch, 
the Hebrew word for the word almond, specifically for this branch, was, was shaked, S-H-A-K-E-D. And you know what it meant? It meant to hasten, or in other words, to quickly do something. So this lampstand, I'm just going to go. This lampstand, that was the only source of light, was made from, a, from an almond tree that meant quick to do something. It's interesting because even Aaron's staff, and we'll talk about Aaron more, but Aaron's staff was made out of the same wood. And it would miraculously bloom and it would produce almonds, indicating that he was the chosen one to be the high priest. That same rod that Aaron used made out of the almond branch was later used to put inside the Ark of the Covenant even. In fact, Aaron was responsible to make this lampstand keep burning because they needed the light. So the thing that was the only source of light in the holy place of God in the tabernacle was of substance that meant to do something quickly. Let me tell you something. God is quick to fulfill his promises. You are made of the substance of God. And he says, I am quick to fulfill my promises. Now we hear that and our question is, well, why haven't I seen any? Because have you kept the thing made with the substance of quick promises burning? Because we're made of the substance of God if we are truly the tabernacle. And God says, I can do whatever I want and I can do it quickly. But the way that you are designed is not to wait on me to fan your flame. The way you're designed is that you're made of a substance for things to happen quickly. But I need you to keep your candles burning. Y'all ever heard that song in church? Keep the candle burn. Can't stand that song. But it's such a good message. We're made of this substance for something to happen. But why is it that we're living a life where we're not giving off any light in a dark world looking for a flame? They're trying to light up their dark lives. <clears throat> we got people in depression. We've got people lost. We've got people who have no drive. And they're trying to find light. So they find it in a parade. They find it in a bar. They find it in bad relationships. They find it in selfish friendships. They find it in overindulgence. They find it in gossip. God says, in my tabernacle, there's only one source of light. <laughs> Why are we trying to counterfeit the light of God? You know, in, James, in Jeremiah 1, 11 to 12, it says, The Lord said to me, Look, Jeremiah, what do you see? I replied, I see a branch from an almond tree. 
The Lord said, that's right. I'm watching, and I'm going to carry out my plans. What are his plans? Look at John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to the people and once more and said, I'm the light of the world. And if you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light, and it leads to life. We are the temple of God. And we're really good at getting the entrance part with Jesus. And we're good at bringing our sins before him, and we're good at being washed by the word. And some of us are even good about knowing that he is the bread of life and he will take care of all your stuff. But why is it that we fall so short on letting him be the only source of light in our tabernacle? We try to find direction in everything but him. He says, I am the light. And if you follow me, you won't have to walk in your stuff anymore. But our temples have become full of artificial brightness. Where we're trying to walk after all of these paths. And God says, I'm the light of the world. And he's so good. That he says, if you would feast on my bread and come through my gate and, 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 and accept the fact that I'm the sacrifice of blood and washed by the word, not only will I be your light, but in Matthew 5, 14, he says, throw it up there. He says, you are. You are the light of the world. You're like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and put it under a basket. A lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father. We are called to be the light that burns in darkness every day. For one purpose, not so that people can see how great you are, but so that people will be led to your Father God because you're burning so bright and it's no longer artificial. And knowing that we're made of a substance where God says, I can do anything quick, the quick comes when we start living in the fullness of real light. He says, I am the light, and if you will let me shine in you, you become the light for the world to see, to be led to my Father. And if we would approach him like that, I believe we would start seeing crazy breakthrough. But we don't approach him like that. We don't, we don't approach God anymore. Yeah, we, we, we're light shining brightly. We're starting to approach God embarrassed of our stuff. We're timid to come up to an altar call. We're, we're, we're timid to come before God because we're embarrassed of what we said before we got in the house of God. We're embarrassed how he acted with our spouse this week. 
We're embarrassed about that thing we said to that coworker that you really wish would not come to work on Monday. We're really embarrassed about that thing we did. We're really embarrassed about that thing we saw. But God does not say, you are the light, so come to me humble when you feel like it and just kind of, kind of be timid. No, he actually tells us the way he wants us to approach him. In Hebrews 4.16, he says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Follow me, guys. There, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. When is it that when we receive mercy, when we come before him boldly? When is it that we'll find grace to help us when we need it, when we come to him boldly? Well, when do we get to a place where we come to him boldly? When you start living off of real light and, start, and stop filling your temple with all this artificial flame. Is this making any sense? Is this good? He says, I'm the light. I will make it happen for you. Now you be the light. And I don't want no artificial people saying you believe in me and do nothing. In fact, God tells us that there's going to be people that come to him in the course of heaven. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Just because you call on the name of Jesus does not mean he knows who you are. Can I just open your eyes to something? Satan knows his name. You think, you think Lucifer has suddenly forgot who Jesus was because he fell from heaven? Satan doesn't just go, Jesus, I need your help. Satan doesn't know him in an intimate way like we get to. You know why? Because Satan is not worthy to get the benefit of sacrifice. Only we are. And our temple is made of a substance. Of our, you know what's interesting about the thing that holds the things that, that, that burn the flame? The, the wood? The, 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 thing, the, the thing that holds it, he, sa he says, I've got these almond branches that mean I'll make it happen quickly. And if you read the passage, at the end of the branch, there was like this rose-looking petal holder, and there was something that was inside of it to make the fire burn. You know what was inside the petal? Oil. Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has what? Anointed me. What do you anoint with? Oil. To bring good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. He says, the substance that you're made of contains an oil that makes it possible for my fire to burn. He says, when you are my tabernacle, I have anointed you to carry the oil that is called the Holy Spirit. And when you hold that oil, you can burn all day, you can burn all night, because that oil does not run out.
but have you given yourself to burn off of the oil of the Holy Spirit or off the artificial junk that you keep filling your house with? God, do something. I've given you the oil. I've made you with everything you need. Build your temple. Build your temple. So you come into this place and you've got the bread and you've got the light of God, the fire, the oil, the Holy Spirit burning and the substance thereof. And there's one more thing in the middle. And it's the altar of incense. Is this okay tonight, y'all? Y'all, y'all quiet, y'all okay? Okay. Exodus 37, verse 25. Then Belezalel made the incense altar of acacia wood. It was 18 inches square, 36 inches high, with horns at the corner carved from the same piece of wood as the altar itself. He overlaid the top sides, horns of the altar with pure gold. He ran a gold molding around the entire altar. He made two gold rings and attached them on the opposite sides of the altar below the gold molding to hold the carrying poles. He made the poles of acacia wood, overlaid them with gold, and then he made the sacred anointing oil and the fragrant incense using the techniques of a skilled incense maker. You had this altar of incense that was the last thing you got before they could enter into where the presence was. We're getting closer. He says, after you've come to the gate of Jesus, dealt with your sin through the blood, embraced your fiery trials, been washed by the word, start feasting off the bread, start burning with the Holy Spirit inside of you as the light of the world, I want to talk to you about the altar of incense. It says that each corner of this altar that was 18 square inches by three foot high, wasn't too big. Each corner, which was a horn, the high priest would dab blood on each corner of the, of the horns once a year on the Day of Atonement. And after they sacrificed the blood and dipped the blood on these horns, they would release a goat to run into the wilderness. You know what the goat was called? A scapegoat. There's only one true scapegoat. There's so many times where we, where we try to use other things and other peoples as our scapegoat instead of dealing with the things in our life that are preventing us from just being a tabernacle full of him. We use situations as our scapegoat. We use the way we grew up as our scapegoat. The bad things that have happened to us as our scapegoat. Kyle, you just don't understand how I grew up. Can I just be honest with you? I love you. But I care more about where you're at now than what happened to you. Because what happened to you doesn't define you. 
who you are is not that. Because there's a scapegoat named Jesus that says, I'm going to carry away all of your stuff so that when the Father sees you, he sees his son. I don't know about you, but I, I'm tired of, of scapegoats and excuses of, what God, why, why you don't get all of me. God says, I want every bit of you because I've already given you my son to take away all the stuff that you're trying to hide behind. They would dab that blood. They would send the goat in the wilderness. And then the priest would bring these burning coals from the brazen altar that was used to remember to burn the remains of the sacrifice. And they would take these burning coals and they would use them to burn the incense at this altar. And this incense was made from tree sap, a substance from some shellfish, some substance from parsley plants, with some salt, and its main ingredient was frankincense. So you thought gold, frankincense, and myrrh was just a Christmas thing. He says, I've got this incense. We're bringing these coals in, and these coals are going to burn this incense that's specially made for this one place. Let me tell you how serious, I know I'm going over, guys, but is this okay? Let me tell you how serious this incense was. If people used it, bad stuff happened. No one was allowed to use it. In fact, in Leviticus, Aaron, his sons tried to use it, and when they took it outside their tabernacle to, to use it, you know what happened? A fire came down from the presence of God and burned them alive. All right, God, you, you got it. So what priests would do, they would take this incense that was made for one purpose, for the holy place, and they would burn it, and this sweet smell and aroma would come up, and they would burn it every morning and every evening. And smoke would rise out of one place from the ceiling, and you know where, the, where it would go? It would go into the most holy place part, where the presence of God was. So after going through all this stuff, gone through the way, gone through the truth, now getting into the life part, they will bring all their stuff, all their sins, everything that they've been dealing with, and they will burn the incense with the coals of sacrifice, and it will go into the most holy place. Every morning, every evening, every day, every night we sing a song in here so many times day and night night and day let incense arise it's not just a cool lyric they would burn incense every morning and every what was the incense look at Psalm 141 oh Lord I am calling to you please hurry Listen when I cry for your help. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. Let my prayers rise to you. These incense altars were burning continuously 
relit every day and every night. Yet we have developed a Christian culture where we say we want the life of Jesus, but our prayers happen at meals, they happen at altars, they happen when we're in pain. But if we truly become a temple of the Holy Spirit, a temple of God, where our prayers of incense are burned continuously. It comes down to this. If God has made a way for us to connect with him one-on-one, why have we made talking with him something in our schedule that we have to make time for instead of putting everything else centered around the time for him to talk? Did you pray today? I didn't have time. I've got an issue. Have you gone to God? Not yet. I just haven't. I woke up late. And we chuckle, but it's true. He says, I have given everything to you to be what I need you to be so that I can dwell. God, dwell in my family. God, dwell in my relationship. God, dwell in my friendships. God, dwell in my workplace. God, do what you want to do. I made you with a substance that will make things happen quickly. Yet you don't burn brightly. The light's not shining. You're not feasting on me. And you're not talking to me. Yet God do, God do. God help, God help. And he has laid out a beautiful picture of how we get it. He says, if you would just talk with me and burn for me and feast on me, I'll fill you up. And we get mad at God. So God, why haven't you done anything? I've showed you how to do it. Feast on me. Burn for me. Burn brightly so that people will see me. Talk to me in the morning. Talk to me in the night. May your prayers of incense arise. They burned all the time. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, you know what it says? Never stop praying. Never. Never stop praying. Have you seen your breakthrough? No. You keep praying. I prayed for years. Nothing ever happened. Never stop praying. You're coming into an agreement in faith. It's the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. You don't stop your faith because you hadn't seen it. Faith is the scene. So I'm going to let my prayers burn no matter what. In Revelation 5, 8, it says, When he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the land. Each one had a harp. They held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers for God's people. Can I just tell you something? Your prayers are not forgotten. God has not turned his back on you. He does not turn away from you. 
He says, I hear your every cry. I hear your every need. I know what you need. I know who you are better than your mama, better than your daddy, better than your husband, better than your, I know you better than anyone else. I want to fill your temple. I want to fill your life. I want, I, I want great things for you. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be so blessed that your temple can't contain the blessing. But what are you feasting on? What are you burning for? And who are you talking to? James 4, 8 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. He wants to do so much. And it doesn't take a church to get on its knees for 20 hours and pray. It simply takes the temple, which is you. Here I am. I want to feast on you. I want to feast on your word. I want you to be what satisfies me, God. I want to burn for you. I want people to see you in the way I talk. I want people to see you when they turn on my radio. I mean, let's be real. If I were to get in your car right now and it started when I hear Jesus, well, that's superficial, Kyle. You go ahead and think that. But you're a tabernacle. What are you letting in your temple? Well, it's not bad music. It's okay. There is no gray area. It's black and it's white. You either in or you out. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how cool it sounds. I don't care how great that movie is. I don't care how cool your friend is. Why is it that Christians, their best friends, are the people who live the least like God? Because we have stopped building and caring for our tabernacle. Feast on me. Burn for me. Talk with me. And I will fill you up with so much of me that there will be... I pray that there's no more room for Kyle. Because I can tell you, Kyle, he messes up. And so do you. And I believe there will be less of that when there's more of. All you got to do is build your temple. Care for your temple. Because it's where he dwells. You know, we've been talking about I know, I know I'm going so much, but y'all just keep going. I'm going to close with this, so don't worry. I'm not going to go too much longer. We've been talking about spirit, soul, and body. How you're made up of three things. Your body. We talked about that last week. It's your courtyard and your spirit and your soul. Spirit is a thing that is saved eternally. You're either saved or you're not. We're going to be talking about that next week in the most holy place. Your body, the courtyard, contains the whole thing. But your soul is what is being continuously transformed. It's your mind. It's your will. It's your emotions. He says, I want you to continually transform your soul to look like the Spirit. You've got the 
courtyard, the holy place, you've got the most holy place. You've got your spirit, you've got your body, and in the holy place is your soul. Your soul is your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions. He says, sacrifice your mind at the lampstand. Let the light of God illuminate your thoughts. Let the light of God illuminate your decisions. Let the light of God illuminate every thought that comes to your mind. Sacrifice your will at the altar of incense. Not God, I want to do this, but God, let your will be done. God, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm going through. But I don't want to react to it my way. I want your will to be want to, to, I want your will to be done. I want to draw near to you, God. I want to come before you with my prayers, and I want to let them rise to you like incense, like a sweet smelling aroma. The sweet smell is not God, please make this happen. The sweet smell is God, nevertheless, let your will be done. Sacrifice your emotions at the table. Do you sacrifice being led by emotion and, 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 and start saying, even though I would love to feast off of what I feel, I'm going to feast off his truth. It's a total transformation. And if we are going to walk in the wholeness of God, we have really got to start approaching the holy place and saying, here's my mind, here's my will, here's my emotions. God, have your way. I want to burn for you. I want to talk with you. I want to feast on you. And I don't want nothing else. And God loves you so much. In Revelations 1, 6, he says, he's made a kingdom of priests. All glory to power him forever. You know who the priests are? Us. You're worthy to approach him. So let's become a people that look like his tabernacle. Amen.